Island Minds, the mental health podcast. Please note, these episodes deal with topics that some listeners may find distressing. For suggested contacts, please see the show notes on our Facebook page after this episode. This episode deals with the following topics. Post-traumatic stress disorder, postnatal depression, birth trauma, IVF, suicide, preeclampsia and miscarriages. Good evening, Hannah. <laughs> Good evening, Tia. Good day. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> That's a strong start. I love I I love that with our podcast they are to a point structured but the one thing that will never be we could write a whole essay on how we start it <laughs> and we will never ever be able to just start it <laughs> I kind of love that I never know how our openers are gonna go like, <laughs> I never know and it's every time it's like a great surprise oh I'm just a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> you are you keep it fresh <laughs> I'll get it on a t-shirt Oh dear. Well, yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi. Well, welcome to our listeners. I hope you're enjoying. Um... <laughs> welcome to the Eddie Munson Mourners Club. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh dear, I'm sorry. This is this has started well. I think it has started well. It's really nice because when we started for a long time, I think we were like. We are doing somber podcast with very serious source material, and we'll be professional. Uh, we professional and not show much humor at all. And now we're just like, <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> I mean, yes, the the topics we cover, they are somber. You know, it can be quite intense, but also a lot of these experiences are balanced with with real life. And you know, I'm not saying that there's comedy in what we're talking about but I think it's okay to see the light side and things I mean like Becky said you just wouldn't be able to cope otherwise would you no and it's all also all right for us to just be ourselves and there be some likeness to this and we're not serious people guys like yeah we have mental illnesses but we're very silly we are silly very silly okay I think before we launch into sort of what is going to be covered in this episode I just want to bring our listeners attention to the fact that we have started a blog because we're very aware that there are people out there that want to tell their story but they aren't necessarily comfortable talking about their experience through a podcast some people are far more comfortable with writing so the purpose of our blog is to give a voice to individuals that want to talk about their experience through written word. We have had a post already uh, from the lovely Claire who talks about her experience transitioning. Uh, So if you feel like that is something for you, then please do get in touch with us. You can email us or contact us on our social media channels. Uh, We will get back to you. We're not always the quickest at replying. We'll be very honest, but we do get there in the end. Um, and we would love to hear your stories that way as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for setting it up, Hannah. It's brilliant, and um, I loved Claire's interview. And I think, yeah, I think it's a really great idea because it's not only um, being comfortable speaking, but also gives people the opportunity to tell their story anonymously if they yeah. aren't comfortable. Exactly. 
And just to say, all of our details are on show notes and social media, but if you do want to ping us an email, it's islandminds.thepodcast at gmail.com. So there you go. You've got no excuse now, <laughs> unless you don't want to do it, which is a very which is, excuse. Which is fine. <laughs> I am slightly worried that people will already be fed up with my pre-recorded please leave reviews message. So instead, you're going to get a fresh one every time. You're welcome. <laughs> But yeah, please leave us reviews. Um, means the world to us. It really helps the podcast as well. It helps it grow and us get even more listeners. Not that we don't love the ones we have. Very dear to us. Um, but it's always nice to have more. Um, so yeah, if you can even leaving stars is great, but we love the comments. We love reading them. It absolutely makes our day. So yeah, if you know, if you enjoy it or if you've got any feedback, please rate and review us. You can do Ooh. it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And get in touch with us on social media we're on all of them and available to stream on all platforms speaking of getting in touch as well we did mention our last episode and we put out a post about this and um, our next episode is going to be hannah and i rambling on about the phrase uh, it's okay not to be okay and whether that is okay because there's a lot of debate around that at the moment and we've had a few of you give us feedback on your thoughts but we'd really love to hear more and sort of you know debate all of the arguments as much as possible so please get in touch in case you're not familiar with this conversation it's it's about whether we're at a point where we're becoming blasé about people suffering like you know are we saying mm-hmm. yeah it's fine that you feel you feel like shit that's okay like obviously it's there's two sides to it and it's very nuanced and that's something we want to discuss but please let us know your thoughts yeah and also thank you to our supporters because in july i know we're still in july while we're recording this we've had 100 downloads awesome yes 100 downloads there's me greedily asking for more but we are doing great thank you so much guys we really appreciate it so in this episode some of the topics we are going to cover include ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder and PND, which is postnatal depression. Now we have touched on postnatal depression very sort of gently in the past, but I think PTSD is a new one for us. Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, yeah, I think we talked about perinatal mental health quite a few times mm. now, but I think, yeah, this is this is a very specific episode that we're covering and PTSD for sure. Yeah. So I... I personally think that the term PTSD and postnatal depression are bounded around quite liberally without people really understanding or comprehending just kind of how serious they are for people. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how you feel. Like you said, I think it's a case that people don't really know what it looks like in, in reality. No, I think it's a term people hear quite a lot. And I think when people hear PTSD, the immediate connection is made to war. Mm -hmm. We are very familiar with that term being used when it comes to soldiers and anything to do with veterans. So um, for our listeners, post-traumatic stress disorder is basically developed after an individual uh, experiences a traumatic event. Um, Now, a traumatic event can be anything from war to road traffic accidents traumatic birth domestic abuse anything like that if if you have experienced a traumatic event 
you can be vulnerable to PTSD. Now, everyone, everyone has a reaction to, to trauma, but in the majority of cases, it becomes a painful memory rather than something that's, that's destructive to your day-to-day life. But for about 20% of people in the UK, this statistic is from PTSD UK, around 20% of people go on to develop PTSD. So in the UK, that's around 6 million people. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a lot of people. Um, and I think there is, there's a lot of stigma around PTSD. There are a lot of myths around PTSD. But the way PTSD UK describe it is they talk about how complex the brain is and how the brain has like a series of loops and functions. And PTSD is, is kind of like a memory filing error. Yeah. So when when you're exposed to, say, you know, a, a common example is like loud noises, it, you, your body, rather than being able to put the trauma as a memory, your brain kind of puts your body in in danger mode like you're back in that experience it's 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 happening again so you kind of go into your your fight your flight response or your freeze response your flop your form response that's kind of how I've understood it from reading it but that's that is just from reading it I don't have experience with it so I don't have an authentic kind of story to tell but yeah basically you go back into danger mode and you know, symptoms can include intrusive flashbacks, hypervigilance, and things like that. And also, again, it's really important to remember that with any of these topics that we talk about, one person's experience will be different to another's. So I think there's this tendency for people to be like, oh, she can't have anxiety because I can, I have anxiety and I can do that. Well, yeah, that's great that you can do that. Yeah, It's like, you know, I don't have anxiety doing certain things, but I, I cannot even fathom getting onto a plane and traveling. You, on the other hand, have been to like the world's top 10 most dangerous places because you're a badass. And yet we both have anxiety, but we can do different things. So yeah, it's just important to remember if, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, well, that's not my experience, this, that's, that's fine. Everyone's story is, is their authentic truth and it will be different. Mental health will always be different it's not uh one size fits all and there's no rule book for it and it's no even for you know your own experience it can change and fluctuate and and have no rhyme or reason so Mm. but yeah that's a really good point what I have found very interesting about PTSD is it's the perfect example of how mental illness is not a new thing and how it's not like this modern day fashionable fad that you see sort of you know talked about in social media quite a lot so the 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 title of PTSD is quite a new one that that's only been around since the 1980s however prior to that um it this this form this this illness has had a variety of different names and I think the most common and the most well known is shell shock yeah so that was the condition attributed to soldiers coming back from world war one but it's had lots of other titles and when people say, oh, there never used to be, you know, mental health problems, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just want them to, to hear this because believe it or not, the first official, and I say official because there are documents that you could argue prove that it existed before this, but the first official 
written documentation of an illness like this so it's called psychological distress was actually written in 1900 bc <laughs> bc wow <laughs> so that you know these are not new things you know this argument gets thrown around so often and i'm like mm, do you think maybe that the culture's improving and people are actually just more comfortable talking about the fact they have it rather than it being them in an asylum yeah and you know like it's, you don't get to decide whether people had it before or not they just might not have spoken about it or it might have had yeah. a different label like you said I feel so strongly about this and people are like oh yeah I'm not sure they do have anxiety though I think they're like doing it because other people are or it's trendy I'm like I'm sorry have you been in their head no yeah okay you don't get to decide them no you you do not get to talk for them that's not that's not okay but yeah PTSD is so complex and we could probably do a whole two-hour episode just on PTSD yeah. but in sort of a nutshell that's kind of sort of my understanding of it obviously our lovely guest is going to talk about her experience yeah and Chelsea you know, talks about it uh, at length and, and does a fantastic job in the interview and obviously she also talks about her postnatal depression obviously postnatal depression is it's a bit close to me in all honesty, which does make it a little bit difficult for me to approach, but um, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of what postnatal depression is. It is depression developed after the birth of a child and it, it can develop up to a year after generally. I'm sure there are examples of it happening post that, but generally it's accepted that, you know, it happens within a year of birth. Um, and so there's this kind of idea that postnatal depression isn't as severe as depression generally and that's that's a myth that is untrue and I think it's because it gets uh, mixed up with the term baby blues yeah so baby blues is very common and it happens to a lot of new time parents however the baby blues tends to only last for about 14 days post-birth yeah and it's very normal it's still very unsettling it's a very unpleasant experience but it does end quite quickly if your symptoms are are prolonged and they go on past that that's when you need to talk to your health visitor or your GP because it is possible that you have developed postnatal depression and it 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 makes you it makes you feel rubbish emotionally mentally physically you know, not only are you having to deal with the fact you've just become a parent, uh, maybe for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time and so on. But you're also dealing with this with with depression, which is is difficult on its own. There's also the the myth that it's just hormonal. It's not. There are actually a lot of factors that contribute to postnatal depression. Of course, your hormones are all over the place. They do not help. But there are other things such as, you know, financial worries if you don't have a supportive network of people around you isolation and loneliness which you know I I'm very lucky I do have friends and family that have been very supportive but I have noticed I have lost you know a bank of support and I it's fine not everyone not everyone is is baby minded and I I get that but it it is not just hormonal there are so many factors that go go into causing postnatal depression Men can't experience it. That's another myth. Postnatal depression is depression because of the birth of a child. And it's not just one person becoming a parent. Two people become parents. Um, yeah, men 
can experience it and that is completely valid yeah there is a tendency and I'll be very honest I totally relate to this there is a tendency to gatekeep the feeling because as a woman we're the ones that have gone through the nine months of what I can only describe as hell and then you go through the birth you know you go through all that so it's very easy to gatekeep that it's very easy to want to protect that was my experience that's why I feel this way why do you feel this way back when you take a step back and you understand this is a huge change not only for you but for both of you it's very understandable that it can affect your partner so that's something that I've had to really learn tell myself keep you know and and really work on to try and be better supportive to my partner and and things like that I've written this one again just because it really irked me, but the whole, it's just the baby blues. It's, it's, it's just so much more than that. And actually one in 10 women, this is from the NHS website, one in 10 women experience postnatal depression. Perinatal yeah. mental health is such a, um, it's, it's something that hasn't really been looked after very well in the past. And they're, they're trying to make huge strides in it now to try and bring it, bring the quality of care for perinatal mental health up. But yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the hardest things for people to understand with postnatal depression and what must be one of the hardest things for the parent is struggling to bond with the baby. And Mm -hmm. that can, can, you know, in, in some cases that can go to the most extreme that incredibly sadly, like, you know, parents have been known to harm or even kill the baby as a result of postnatal depression. Yeah. So it is a really serious thing. And I think that's, you know, obviously like they're very different, but I, I guess it's kind of like that thing you found with pregnancy where people were like, oh, it's a lovely time, enjoy it. And they just can't, they can't possibly comprehend. No. That it, you just can't. It can't be. Yeah, that it can't be that actually you're going through something serious and that this experience isn't, isn't yeah. picture perfect. It's such a... It's such a strange thing because you want it to be lovely. You do. You want it to be this amazing experience that everyone sort of tells you. But like, if it's not, it's not. Yeah. Um, And that's okay. I mean, my, so my, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast before. I might have done, but my great grandmother Mm. actually, uh, she died by suicide at the Duck Pond at St. Mary's due to postnatal depression. So, So yeah so I had that in the back of my head as well I was aware that that had happened and it wasn't that that I wasn't worried about I have a very good support network I knew from day one I was going to be very well supported but it's so sad it's so so sad and you know that's okay it is in the past but it's not we're not talking centuries in the past yeah it happens all the time and that, yeah. that's the, the shocking thing it's not an old thing it's not something that we've managed to eradicate I was just going to say as you know I didn't say in that list I was talking about the harm that that can lead to with the baby it's, yeah mm-hmm. uh, mothers can also end their own lives and that's you know there's cases of that still happening now it's and um actually Chelsea talks about this a lot it's she does such an incredible job and I'm so proud of her for sharing her story but she talks about feeling suicidal and it, it you know it got to a point where she was on her way to end her life before thankfully some some family intervened and she uh-huh. managed to get herself well but it's you know it, it 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 does happen yeah 
yeah yeah it does and I think because a lot of people are unaware of that they really don't understand the severity you know the fact that this in itself is kind of its own pandemic and perinatal mental health it's there's still a long way to go what I've discovered from my experience with the perinatal mental health service which was fantastic it was just out of this world Mm. but remember we spoke to Sophie in series one about her experience actually being the complete opposite and I've spoken to her more recently and actually unfortunately post-birth the issues with the services were appalling and they've launched a letter of complaint quite quite rightly and um, I'm hoping maybe at some point she'll she'll feel strong enough to come and and talk about that but you know it baffles me that the level of care I had here was outstanding and the level of care up there so that it's on the mainland was so different and I you know it it comes back to sort of underfunding and lack of investment in in the services that are needed it's not it's not the staff because you know there's only so much they can they can do there's only so much ground they can cover yeah so Chelsea had a very negative experience here so you know it does it you know it varies and we always say this you know people's experiences aren't necessarily reflective of services as a whole but after her interview I was I was all fired up about this and sort of like you know mental health services in general and me and my husband were talking and he said do you think we're in a mental health crisis and I said yeah absolutely having reflected on it like because I always say and and I work in services and I see this I do think it's staffing I do think it's funding I think those are fundamental but I also think there's an education and culture element to it that needs to coincide with with those improvements Mm. yeah and it's it's you know it's not a quick fix and I'm so glad you had a great experience Um, and there are people do have great experiences and there are great services but yeah like Chelsea and I talk about as Becky and I had that idea of when people make mistakes and people slip through the cracks what's that what's that yeah. what impact is that actually having on someone's life and what are the the repercussions of that yeah yeah, yeah. there just there needs to be a consistency doesn't there yeah I know you wanted to talk a bit about how you've been doing because I know you've been sort of reflecting on your mental health, your perinatal mental health with this episode and sort of how you've been feeling. Yeah, so I'll be honest, sort of the the past few weeks, apart from sort of like this sleep deprivation, which is perfectly normal, you know, it does play tricks on your mind and there being a bit of isolation um, and and a bit of boredom and, and not bored, you can't be bored obviously, but when it's you and baby all the time you do start getting a bit of cabin fever but apart from that I believed I was doing very well I thought I got over the sort of the the trauma of of the event of having Mallory Uh, if if you've not listened to the episode where I go into this I've had a fear of dying in childbirth since about the age of 10 years old like not just a fear but like I will die I will die. That is what's going to happen. So it, I was convinced that there was no, no way through that situation where I was going to come out the other side of it. And um, it, in the end, she ended up being a sunroof baby because she didn't want to come out. <laughs> um, and here I am. And, you know, we've been healing. We've been 
we've been great. Mallory's great. She's just perfect in every way. I and I, she is perfect. <laughs> she is. She is a squishum. And I thought I was doing really well. And then yesterday, we were watching <laughs> guilty pleasure. We were watching Gogglebox, mm-hmm. and in this episode of Gogglebox, they showed a clip from a show called This Is Going to Hurt, which is based on a book, which is a collection of memoirs from an NHS doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, this uh, particular clip was, you were kind of shown a side-by-side of an NHS hospital with one doctor on a whole ward and then a private hospital. So this woman ends up being taken to the NHS hospital. Yeah to be treated and it started from the moment she was giving birth before there was any issues and I was feeding Mallory at the time I started hyperventilating I started getting warm I started noticing that my arms were going numb just just watching this uh, birth and then when things started to go wrong I went into full-blown panic mode it was like my body was going back into that feeling of when I was in hospital when I was terrified about all the things that could possibly go wrong. I was sweating. I had to get Mallory taken off of me. I had to get my breathing back down because I I went into, it was like a, an immediate panic. There was no buildup to it. It was just instant. Mm. And something a little similar happened today. Very, not as bad. It was very minor. Someone on Facebook shared an amazing post about looking after mums because they, they're looking after their babies, so you need to look after mums. But it was a, a cartoon of a post-C-section woman with the, um, like the big plaster that you have across your scar. And just seeing that picture, I, I started sweating again. Yeah. And I think since the birth, I've avoided, I've avoided everything, like call the midwife, I've avoided anything birth related and uh, yeah last night was quite intense I I did I went into full-blown panic mode um and it took it quite a while to bring me back down and then again seeing that picture today wasn't quite as intense but I felt sick like I, I it, it was unco- it was unpleasant and uncomfortable so obviously I'm not quite 100% okay and there is some I don't want to use the word trauma but there's obviously something I need to work through to be able to get past that that connection of birth danger because that's obviously what I'm doing. That's what my body is and my brain is doing. Yeah. So while I I am okay, you know, I'm I'm doing very well, there there is a problem that I need to work on before it becomes a big problem and it could, you know, it could potentially cause problems for my development with Mallory and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I said to you when I was doing the research for this, I came across birth-specific trauma um, and, you know, it might not be PTSD, but a lot of people do experience trauma after birth and that's partners as well. And, yeah, I think that's really, like, it's sounds like it's a common thing it makes perfect sense to me especially mm-hmm. given your fears around it um and I'm I'm glad that you're able to be so reflective of that and and be open about it and it yeah I'll be honest I've <laughs> I have taught I've I've done that 
kind of talk to the mirror a few times today because the yeah. first couple of times I was talking through it, it was very hard to get through it without like feeling the breathing coming back on or feeling a bit teary. So I have gone just in case it did, you know, I know we, we talked about it privately, but in case it came up, I kind of prepared a bit so that I knew I would be able sort of able to talk about it yeah yeah and I think that the further away from yesterday I get the better it will be but I know that the next time I come up against that the same thing will happen so I need to not avoid I need to find a way of working through this you know utilizing the skills I've had from therapy um, and utilizing sort of the the strength I know I have to sort of you know deal with that head on when I'm ready I'm not ready quite right now but I will be check you out <laughs> badass the tools I got in therapy and use my own strength <laughs> I'm gonna play that back to you on your bad day oh no <laughs> <laughs> no that's amazing I'm really proud of you thank you so yeah we'll just dive straight into the interview Chelsea's amazing interview thanks again for coming Chelsea hi Chelsea hi Oh, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Really thanks appreciate for ha- it. Thanks for letting me join. No, no, it's great. Great to have you. So I know there's a lot you want to talk about. I know it's particularly around your experience with postnatal depression and PTSD. So in your own time, if you could tell me about your experience and, and your mental health journey. Yeah, sure. So um, I had uh, IVF to start with to um, conceive my little girl, who is now 16 months. And we were really lucky in that we fell pregnant or I fell pregnant on the first round, which we were really lucky. Unfortunately, I've suffered miscarriages in the past and I started to have a bleed and obviously went in to the early pregnancy unit and um, was told that, you know, there was, they could see a heart, faint heartbeat at that time because it was too early to hear. Because with IVF, you find out you're pregnant like straight away. Uh-huh. And then I um, went back again because I started to bleed even heavier. And unfortunately, I was told that it was an outgoing pregnancy. And yeah, that was kind of it. Then I, that was kind of in the July time, I didn't feel very well at all. Um, I remember saying to my mum at one point, you know, you've got to make me feel better because I literally feel like I'm dying. I'd never experienced it before in my life. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't move my head off the pillow. Um, I felt horrendous. And I remember going up to my partner's mum's house just to get away for a little while because obviously with IVF the things your body goes through and then to be told that you've had been pregnant and you're no longer pregnant was quite difficult and trying to think of oh I'm gonna have to go through this again and etc etc so we got off the island for a little while and while I was there I've I've I felt like I had passed something and um what yeah so I, I just assumed that that was the pregnancy over yeah still didn't feel very well for for ages got to uh probably the end of August time still didn't feel very well so I went to the doctors and was told that I had like low iron etc etc 
So I then, it got to, must have been in the October and I phoned the fertility clinic and said, look, I just still don't feel very well um, and I don't really know what to do. And they said, just leave it a little bit longer because sometimes it can take a while for the medication, et cetera, to get out of your body. And we'll be looking at going again in sort of January, but we need to have like a clear couple of cycles before you can do that. So it got to November and I still didn't feel right. I hadn't had a period either, so I just didn't feel right at all. And I phoned them and they said, you know, we think you need to come over for a scan now um, to see what's going on. So I went over there on the 11th of November, Remembrance Day, Mm -hmm. And they said that basically there was a baby growing inside me. Um, So obviously they only dealt with with women who were pregnant kind of up to the 12 week mark um, and just said to me that and obviously it was COVID. So I'd gone in on my own, etc. And they just said to me that, yeah, this baby is way, way further along than 12 weeks. So I was referred back to the Isle of Wight um, NHS to have a scan. And uh, yeah, it turns out that I was 22 and a half weeks pregnant. Oh my goodness. Which turned out that it was from the IVF. So there'd been a misdiagnosis there. Wow. then I so literally I had like three months before I was given birth we'd also bought a puppy because we didn't think that we were going to have a child for a while yeah and we'd also just brought a house okay wow and the house needed quite a lot of work doing so as you can imagine it was a bit like wow what I remember me and my husband just wandering through Southampton in a little bubble thinking oh my god like I don't know what to think but I'm just so grateful like this little person inside of me has gone through where I've been not eating not looking after myself and they're still there yeah Um, I just hoped that they were healthy because obviously I'd missed the 12-week scan which is the most important one I'd missed you know the Down syndrome tests etc etc so yeah I had my scan back here and um yeah they were able there and then to tell us they asked us if we wanted to know and I said I can't deal with any more um surprises so I just wanted to know what what gender it was and we were having a little girl so yeah it kind of felt like a, a a whirlwind really but obviously I was so grateful that this miracle she you know I still yeah. call her a miracle now had held on through all of this and I do to this day still wonder was it a twin was you know I'll never know those yeah the answers to that that question um so then unfortunately at 36 weeks I developed preeclampsia and I ended up having to be and it was COVID again so I was on my own and I ended up going in and that was it not coming back out again and I was incredibly unwell. They couldn't get my um, blood pressure down. Okay. Um, so I went on to like an IV drip and yeah, it, I had a traumatic birth. I kind of was just not with it because I hadn't eaten or drunken anything. And 
being induced kind of you just hit a brick wall with your contractions and it just like went absolutely intense and I couldn't take it anymore Mm. um and because I suffer with b12 deficiency I didn't want to have um gas and air because that depletes your b12 um so I ended up having an epidural unfortunately then um my little girl's heartbeat was going and then yeah we kind of lost lost the heartbeat so they all rushed in kind of got her out with forceps and afterwards I kind of lost a lot of blood yeah. and um, again it was Covid so you know my husband had to go home for the night and I just remember thinking I just couldn't get out of bed I just felt so weak I, I couldn't get out of bed the staff were brilliant they helped me and then I remember the following day um, my husband came back and I just said to him I just don't feel very well um, and I they came and they said look let's get you up let's get you for a shower so I went and had a shower and I just completely collapsed in the shower and then ended up having to have a blood transfusion um so it was really traumatic I came home and unfortunately I fainted again at home so I had to go back into hospital luckily I made them agree that if they gave me some tablets if they gave me some tablets and I promised to take them I wouldn't have to stay in again Um, And I was just, yeah, really unwell for um, a good few weeks. Took me, yeah, a while to, and, you know, for me, this was supposed to be really exciting. I was supposed to be enjoying being a mum. This was something that I'd always wanted and it just wasn't enjoyable. I don't ever remember anyone coming out and speaking to me about, you know, I remember being left a leaflet, but I don't ever remember somebody coming out and speaking to me about, you know, how much your babies cry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, she was an angel for the first two weeks. And then that two week mark hit and she just cried and cried and cried. I mean, she would cry from five o'clock in the evening to 11 o'clock at night, every night. Yeah. Um, and we just didn't know what to do. Then, unfortunately, she got to around three months and she just wouldn't take her milk yeah and I remember not feeling listened to by people they weren't listening to me and I just knew something wasn't right she would take an ounce and then projectile vomit up and I remember you know I used to have to sit there and winter for hours after I feed and then by the time that had happened it would be her next feed Mm. and it just yeah wasn't wasn't enjoyable in any way shape or form so I remember going to the doctors and saying, you know, something isn't right. And nobody would listen to me. And they just kept saying, one specific doctor just said to me, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, why we, we feel like winding is such a key thing in, um, in our country because other countries don't do it. And I remember saying to her, look, I haven't come down here to be patronised. I've come down here because I really need your help. And if I don't wind her, she would just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And I cannot cope with it. And I remember her giving me this milk, which was obviously for allergies. And I remember thinking, I know she hasn't got an allergy. It's not an allergy. And But again, nobody would listen to me. And it wasn't until I phoned my health visitor and said, look, she hasn't had a proper wet nappy in 10, 12 hours. There's something not right. And she said, you need to phone, because I'd phoned 111 the night before and nobody had got back to me. And I f- remember pho- phoning again and saying, look, my health visitor has said, if nobody listens to me, then I'm just going to bring her through because 
clearly she's getting dehydrated yeah um and the call handler said to me okay I just need to go and speak to my clinical supervisor or whatever they are and you know came back and said yep you know we've spoken and we think she needs to come in but before that I just need to check that she's okay and I said oh yeah she's okay she's sleeping and she said yes but I just need to dump I need to like you to go and physically see that she's okay so I remember me and my husband coming in the bedroom and she said you know I said she's asleep and she said if you shake her leg or you know move her arm does she um wake up and we did it and there was nothing Hmm. and then she said right okay like lift her leg up and drop it we did there was nothing she said okay like rub her tummy like a a bit more heavier we did nothing and she said right get her out and like so my husband had to like get her out and go to as if to drop her to see if there was a and she kind of just like rolled her eyes in the back of the head and didn't really do much um and she said right yeah you you need to bring her through now and we were like right we're not we don't want an ambulance or anything because we don't trust anybody we will bring her through in our car and bring her through and yeah she was severely dehydrated the staff couldn't get her to drink we we still to this day don't know what was wrong if anything and she had just got dehydrated so there was something else that we had to deal with and then I think from there really after things started to kind of get better my mental health didn't yeah but I didn't have anything to cover it up with I think I think it was a case of everything that had been happening I'd been just on overdrive overdrive and overdrive yeah yeah um and yeah it kind of got to the point where I would just couldn't cope with her crying I couldn't cope with my husband leaving me and I don't I don't remember this part as such yeah and I didn't realize what was happening I didn't I didn't know I just thought you know this is the baby blues this is this I'm okay this is what being a mum is and I remember my husband coming in one day and I was sat on the floor with the with my hands in my head and my little girl was crying on the floor and I remember my husband's told me since that he that's the moment that he phoned my mum to say something isn't right here we can't like he was getting to the point where he was too worried to leave her in my care yeah yeah and it's not that I ever wanted to harm her but I had just gotten into this place where yeah I just could I just couldn't cope but I didn't realize that I thought I was coping um and then I remember saying to my mum you know I can't do this I can't be her mum I just can't be her mum she needs somebody better you know she's better off with Craig which is my husband she's better off with him I just I can't be her mum and that's when my mum said right you know we need to do something about this and so we went through to A&E and spoke to a mental health worker Mm -hmm. and I just remember thinking you know they're going to take her off me I just don't want to be here anymore I just didn't I I didn't see any other way out other than it was just simpler if I left because I I I wasn't good enough for my family I wasn't good enough for my friends I just wasn't good enough for anybody and then I 
remember sitting on my phone and googling how many tablets it would take um for me to take an overdose Mm. um and not wake up and after that I remember thinking you know I'd gone with home treatment team and they were trying to help me but because I didn't really realize what was happening when they were saying to me you know is it safe enough to leave medication here I was kind of going well of course it is what do you think I'm going to do kind of thing and then the final straw was I had googled again how fast you would have to drive off a cliff to die okay and my husband had said something to me I can't even remember what it was it was something along the lines of you know you're not you're not coping or and I just took it completely the wrong way and I packed a bag of like minimal stuff like it it wasn't even much it was like my phone my charger a a nighty um I not much and I just took my bag and I just threw everything else at him and I said if you can do a better job you do it because she quite clearly is better off without me and I just walked out got in my car and at that moment in time he must have phoned my mum and I was due to go and get my nails done and I thought to myself you know everybody will think I'm getting my nails done because that's where I should be and my mum phoned me on um, the hands-free and said, you're right. And I just said, yeah, I'm fine. And um, and she said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to get my nails done. And at this point, I was driving out to Compton. Yeah. Um, and she said, no, you're not. And that I just literally completely broke down and just said, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I can't do this. I can't be a mum. And I just remember her saying to me, right, go to your sister's now and I will meet you there, mum being at work, and I will meet you there. And she met me there. And yeah, I basically just said, I I just don't want to be here anymore. That's my only way out. I can't do this. It's better. She's better off without me. Craig's better off without me. And then that following day, um, home, I saw consultant psychiatrist I'm not quite sure what they're called at the mental health unit on the Isle of Wight and I remember them saying to me you just need some respite and I was kind of saying you know respite from what you know this is what being a mum is like but I just don't like myself I don't there was nothing there it just nothing and I guess I wasn't eating, et cetera, which all has an impact on how you're feeling. And I remember her saying to me, you know, we are looking at, at other placements because we're, we're all out of options of how to help you. You know, you're not getting yeah. better. You are, you are getting worse. Your mental health is declining. And I remember saying, well, what are you going to do? Like, take me away then. And, and I, I, I didn't want to be an inpatient there. That just wasn't an option. Yeah. And I remember say, her saying, you just need to go to sleep. Like, you need to sleep. You, you haven't been sleeping. You need to sleep. So you just need a bit of respite. The other option is the mother and baby unit. And I just kind of freaked out and said, because at this point, Ada had gone, my little girl had gone to live with my mum for a week because mm-hmm. I just couldn't cope. So I didn't have her at home. And I remember thinking, yeah, but you're going to make me take her with me. Yeah. You know, that that isn't, I, I can't do it. Yeah. And the following day, my mental health nurse came round and said that I'd been accepted into the mother and baby unit. 
and that I would be going the following day and it was kind of like I remember my friend coming round and saying to me you have to do this Chelsea you you have to do it you know you are so unwell you this is your only option we need you better and I after that I don't really remember that evening if I'm honest I remember my sister took me for a McDonald's and that's about it and then the next day my mum and Craig took me to Winchester because we don't have any provisions like that on the Isle of Wight Mm. and I remember sitting in the car my anxiety was sky high all I could do was pick my nails and sit up and my shoulder just really tense and I remember thinking I just want to grab hold of that steering wheel if I knew that my mum my little girl and my husband wouldn't die I would grab hold of that steering wheel right now and I would just turn the wheel so we crashed Mm. as long as I died. But what stopped me was the fact that I could potentially kill them and that wasn't what my hope was. My hope was for me to die. And, yeah, the next two weeks at the unit was just awful and I remember them dropping me in and I I remember saying things like, I'm just pretending, you know, I am okay. I'm fine. I'm just pretending. What what if I tell you this is all a joke and, you know, I'm, I'm fine and I can just go home. And, and the last thing I remember is screaming at my mum and my husband when they had to leave saying, please do not leave me here. Do not leave me here. You can't leave me here. And then, that's all I remember of that next two weeks after seeing consultants and junior doctors and psychiatrists. And I just remember that the psychiatrist saying to me after I finally kind of, they heavily medicated me. And I remember her saying to me, Chelsea, you have severe postnatal depression. You know, you are really, really unwell. And this has been going on for a long time. You know, the the babies and mums we have in the babies are two weeks old four weeks old and at this point my little girl was five months old wow so she was the oldest baby in there which was awful feeling because I've left her like this for for five months (laughs) you know what have I done to her it's you know then obviously the guilt etc sinks in and I remained in the unit for three months yeah and I watched lots of mums come and go with their babies and it was a real long journey in there a real long journey I went through lots of different emotions anger guilt and I remember to to start with thinking this is they're not doing anything for me just send me home like you're not work. you're not doing anything for me you're not doing what you said you were doing I've gone from not looking after my child for a week or two weeks or however long it was to me having to look after my child 24 7 I, yeah. I can't do it and I remember them saying to me do you know what okay I think we were four weeks in or six weeks in I remember them saying to me okay that's fine you go home for a weekend because where we live on the island it was difficult just to go home for a day which yeah. was what it what it normally would have been and I came home and Craig's sister came down for the weekend and the weekend was horrendous yeah and that was the moment that it clicked for me that I need 
to be in the mother and baby unit to get myself better. Yeah. And I went back there, not wanting to be there, but I stayed there. And my, you know, my family, my mum, my husband and my sister would, my dad would come and visit me every weekend. But the impact of of this as well on on my husband, because he was missing Mm. out on three months of his daughter's life for me, you know, and I'd done this to my family. I I had done this, you know, she was missing out on her cousins, you know, on her auntie and uncle. She was missing out on her grandparents. Um, Craig's family don't live on the island, so he was on the island by himself. And I was doing all of this and I, I couldn't get over that, the fact that, this was me so I left finally left in the November I went in in the September I finally left in in the November and I remember thinking I'm so happy to be home but I came home and I really really struggled and I found that I missed I missed the unit I missed somebody giving me my medication I missed somebody being on standby when I was having a meltdown to help me go through strategies because, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people out there who have been somewhere or been to a group for, you know, emotional coping skills or something and thinking in the moment, yeah, this is really helping. But then to come out and use them hmm. when you really need them is yeah. really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you use something when you've learned it when you're not in that moment, you know? Hmm putting something in place just wasn't working. So I came home um, and unfortunately I had a really poor service from the mental health team and things went back downhill again. And then I finally had perinatal, but it was all over Zoom and I was used to somebody being there Mm. and helping me. And I was doing all of these things, but nothing was working. Nothing was helping me and I'd done this I'd done my therapy sessions I'd done my emotional coping skills I'd done my stress and anxiety management group I'd done relaxation I'd done meditation I'd done my sensory box I'd done all of these things and I just said to my nurse I said nobody's listening to me but there's a block you can tell me until you're blue in the face that I'm a good mum and you know there's there is a bond although although it needs to be strengthened there is a bond between you and your daughter and you know you haven't done this you've got a mental health illness Mm. and and nothing would go in it I just couldn't you know I I couldn't sleep obviously with medication it made it easier but I just remember thinking I'm doing this this is me what a horrible person I, I don't deserve to be here I don't deserve to have a family I don't deserve to have my close friends like uh, what have I done so wrong in my life to to have to be like this there's people really suffering out there and here I am you know I've got all this all this support around me and I'm just not getting better what is wrong and it literally has been in the last two months three months where I've started getting really vivid horrendous nightmares Mm. that are just awful you know I wouldn't even feel I would feel sick as myself to even say it yeah yeah um and you know I would 
I can't drive past the hospital and if if you know we're going to be in queue for example or something and my husband's driving I, I come over all sweaty I feel sick the palms of my hand are disgusting yeah. um, I can feel my breathing getting really heavy um, just just taking Ada out on my own mm-hmm. I, I just I, I really really struggle I feel like people are judging me um, I feel like they're thinking that I don't deserve her you know, I'm an awful mum. What have I put her through? You know, and I should be so lucky to have her. I tried so hard and all of that. It's really impacted my life that that when I had a phone call from my consultant and my nurse, she said, you know, Chelsea, I think you, you, you what you're selling me is PTSD symptoms. Yeah. And I kind of just broke down thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I'm not. Uh, you know it, yeah. I'm not there's finally something else because yeah. if this was if this was postnatal depression why am I not getting better yeah yeah you know and I, when my when my consultant phoned me I said if something isn't done I'm going to end, end up back in hospital but unfortunately because my daughter's over a year it's, I'm not going to be able to go into the mother and baby unit and I hate to think you know that that type of acute unit just isn't for me it scares the life out of me there's some incredibly ill people in there that that need the help more than I do and when she said that to me I just said I I just I need I need somebody to say to me yes it's PTSD or no it's not because that could just completely change the way I move forward yeah um and then my my psychiatrist finally said to me Chelsea you have PTSD you know and I said but why 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 now and she said to me because you've had such severe postnatal depression that you've been so low that everything's been masked yeah you know you can't think about anything let alone you know you can take one you can put one foot in front of the other yeah but now that has you know you have got you are in a completely different place to where you were when you first came into the unit that your brain is almost allowing things to come to the front now but because it's because it's trauma you're reliving it in different ways you know you're reliving it by going past the hospital you at night time when you relax your brain is trying to process things which is what's coming out in in your in your nightmares you know and I remember saying to her I've I would rather not go to sleep at night than keep having these nightmares. Yeah. Because I can't, it's getting to the point where I can't deal with them. It's impacting on my whole day. You know, when I get up, I feel like I've got a hangover because I'm so tired on top of your medication that you're taking. Mm. And then to try and parent and, you know, with mental illness, when you have a bad day, that day swipes you off your feet. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 can't think, you can't function and all I want to do is put my pillow over my head and cry. Yeah. And stay in bed, but when you have a child you can't do that. When you've got to go to, you know, go to work or or run a home, you know, a dog needs walking. My husband's got to go to work. If he doesn't go to work, we don't have an income. Yes. So then you risk losing your home. There's so much connected with it all yeah. that I just kind of you know I do feel like now you know I've I have come a long way in my recovery and things I've learned such as you know telling myself thoughts aren't facts that the five finger breathing technique works for me 
you know, putting my hands in ice cubes or rubbing them on the back of my neck. Those Mm. sort of things work for me. But it's been a really, really, really long time to get me to where I am now. And I know that I'm only I'm only now just starting treatment, trauma therapy treatment. Mm. And I know that I've got such a long road ahead of me. And some days I just think I, I can't do this. And now my, you know, my bond with, with my daughter is getting better, but she's 16 months old. Yeah. And I feel like I've really been, I've lost or it's been robbed from me having a baby because I've got a toddler now and I don't even know what it's like having a baby. I yes. couldn't tell you. I've just jumped straight into a toddler, which is has its own challenges as it is because, you know, she's now a toddler she's got a mind of her own and I'm still feeling that I'm not good enough for her and I'm not doing enough for her and you know I need to be a better mum and a better wife so my guilt and and all of that still stay with me every day I also feel like where was was those times where I was up or you know luckily she sleeps through the night but where was those times where I was up through the night with her having those bonding times that skin to skin those things that are really important and we get told over and over and over and over again that they're really important but what happens when you don't remember them or maybe I didn't even do that you know maybe that's why I don't remember it but I just feel like it's not it's not okay for me to say I don't remember having a baby or I don't, I feel like I'm, I now feel like I'm babysitting somebody else's. That's the, that's the best I can describe it. I feel like I'm babysitting somebody else's child because I haven't seen her through in what I would say having a baby is supposed to look like. Yeah. So that still has its challenges now. And I am still under the perinatal team now, and I don't know how long that's going to be for. So I think it's just, it's one of those one of those situations where you know I know they say recovery isn't linear um goes up and down and round and round but everybody's recovery is different and why I feel like why isn't mine progressing why isn't mine Mm. you know why don't I get to the point where I can you know it's horrible for me to say this 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 breaks my heart but I'm gonna say it because it's my reality and excuse me if I do get upset no that's okay I I I can only tell Ada that I love her at night time when she's going to bed in case anything happens to her I can't I I, other than that I I can't tell her that anymore well not anymore I haven't been able to I've only recently you know the last six months been able to say it at night time and that's heartbreaking as a mum yeah that's heartbreaking as a mum that's heartbreaking as a husband to hear that yeah it's heartbreaking to have wanted a child so badly yeah. and only be able to say that now when she's 16 months old you know she was a year before I could tell her I loved her and that isn't that isn't right that that isn't that isn't okay that sounds but, lonely for you yeah it is because She's got a dad who loves her, you know, to the moon, stars and back again with everything. And obviously I would I would protect her. I, I never want to see any harm come to her. Uh, 
I'm there for her whenever she needs me. But I also can't fake that no. towards her. And I just hope and pray that as my recovery progresses, I'm able to shout it from the rooftops that I love her, you know, every bit about her, the challenging moments, you know, her crying, because that's a real trigger for me. Um, her crying and whining, I find incredibly difficult and challenging to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's where I am at now. Yeah. With it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I said just now, I don't I don't know how to put into words. Like there, there isn't a phrase that covers like how much you've been through and like, you know. I don't think anyone should have to go through that much in a lifetime, let alone that short a period. And I'm really sorry that you have and for the experience you've had through that, particularly in terms of not getting the right support that you needed. And I just, I know it's still ongoing and it's still a, a process for you, but I think you're doing incredibly and I, am, I think you're amazing for coming on here to talk about it. Thank you. I think that you know, as, as I have said to you before as well, I, I wonder how many other mums and dads, you know, families, because it's a ripple effect, isn't it, in your mm. family? Happens to one person, the ripple effect, you know, how many other families are going through, you know, not necessarily this exact thing, but, you know, postnatal depression in itself yeah. is horrible. It's a horrible place to be horrible to watch somebody going through that and I wonder how many other people are feeling this and don't know where to turn uh don't know um where the support is you know even you know as I said just going to Winchester having to go to Winchester yeah to a mother and baby unit the impacts on you know the family financially and you know my husband missed out on three months of his child's life and or just seeing her kind just yeah every weekend or yeah. at one point it was so difficult for me to say goodbye that they had to stop coming over for a week and I just I just I don't want anyone else to feel alone I don't want anyone else to feel that they're not worthy of support because you so are yeah. you matter you're important you're not just another number however it might just feel another statistic you really are important and you really matter. And if this just helps by listening to this, if this just helps one person, even just to think, wow, I can lift that, those bricks off my shoulder, mm. you know, then I know this has been worth it. And I will share my story over and over again if that's what it needs to, to help somebody else, help a family. You know, if there's a, a husband listening to this that thinks, you know, we're, four five six weeks in and you know my my wife's really struggling or you know if there's a wife listening to this and that her you know her wife's really struggling and I just want everybody to know that it's okay to not know yeah you're not supposed to know you don't know what you don't know no and you know obviously i like I'm not a mum and I haven't I haven't been through anything like what you've been through but I think in a general sense when when you're severely mentally ill it's when you're right in the middle of that you can't 
you know how can you possibly understand what's going on how it started and and what you're feeling and it's it's just overwhelming and it's a lonely place to be I think yeah and that's even without realizing yeah because you don't do you're in crisis you don't know what's and you know sometimes that's when I really struggle with you know you've got the crisis line number you can call that but to do that in that moment is really difficult yeah and to actually articulate what you're feeling it's I've often felt like you know obviously again not to not to compare in any way but my lowest moments I feel like I have 10 million thoughts in my head and cannot think of a single one to express how I'm feeling yeah that's a single word yeah no it's so many people don't they say oh but how are you feeling and I remember sitting there in one of my therapy sessions and thinking I don't even know what happy and sad mean at the moment I can't tell you how I'm feeling yeah and that's when they said to me you know but how are you feeling in your body and that's how I was able to articulate yeah. how I was feeling because I could I couldn't think of what what sad meant or happy meant or angry meant and then mm. you know there's so many other feelings out there that you know there's secondary feelings isn't there and then there's yeah. the primary feelings and I was never I never was never taught that at school no, no I just knew that right now I wanted to die I didn't yeah. know what what I was feeling yeah but we're expected to yeah we are expected to and also I don't know if you experience the same but you know it's almost a case of I'm out the mother and baby unit now so I I should be okay yeah but I'm not and I have good days and I love my good days Mm. but those bad days feel like a brick smack me in the face Mm. I always call them in my head uh write-off days this this day needs to end because nothing good's gonna come from it I'm gonna have to start again tomorrow (laughs) yeah and I've had, that's what I have to tell myself now. I, I have to, I have to say, you know, tomorrow is a new day. Yeah. Today is a bad, a bad day is just a bad day. It's not a bad week. It's not a bad month. It's not a bad life. Yeah. It is a bad day or, yeah. you know, it is a bad morning or whatever it might be. And tomorrow is a new day. And I have to, I have to carry around cards with me that say, you know, thoughts aren't facts and and stop you are more than this emotion and I still have to work on on some of the things that I've been taught back in the mother and baby unit and I often wonder will I have to do that for the rest of my life yeah um and I I sometimes don't think there's enough there's enough out there for just how much a mental illness I'm not I'm not necessarily saying mental health because we all have mental health yeah you know we do all have bad days and that is part and parcel of being a human and having you know such a crazy brain and the pressures of life but a mental illness it it really does flip you upside down and spin you around and throw you back out again and I'm a completely different person now completely different person some of that I do think for the positive I really do but yeah some of that I I really wish I, I didn't have yeah it's really hard to explain but you know I still say to people I'm I'm the most well I've ever been, but I'm probably going to have this the rest of my life. And every day, even though, even on my good days, I have to fight to be well. Like it's, yeah. it's a constant battle. 
yeah it's not I'm not even you know always aware of it but I am exhausted after you know getting to a place where you're well requires putting in all of that work constantly like you said. yes like obviously you know for you it's it's particularly intense at the moment with carrying cards and I really hope you know you can get to a place where that starts to become fortune you can yeah and then that becomes automatic and yeah but it's but it's so hidden isn't it um yeah you know yeah. I remember I remember saying when I went in the mother and baby unit I remember saying I'm wasting your time you know I'm completely wasting your time and I'll never forget one one of the nurses said to me Chelsea if you had a broken leg you'd have to go into hospital you'd potentially have an operation and people would see you were in a cast and you might you need a wheelchair and that could be like that for six weeks eight weeks you know three months four months if you've had an operation she said how is that different yeah just because you can't see it you like me as a person feel every little bit of it yeah in my body or in my head yeah but other people can't see it and I think it's not until that it's not until the close people around you can go oh that's quite a fake smile today or Mm. you sound a bit fed up today is everything okay but you can't expect everybody to know that no and the impact on everything you know the impact on on my friendships the impact on my work the impact it has on everything is you know I've I've become quite resentful now to you know the reasons why this all started and where my PTSD's come from because it's it's changed everything and I just what you know I want I, I would love to carry on doing my job but I just can't mm. yeah yeah, I just find, think it's a real lonely place for people. And I just hope that, I mean, li- I listen to your podcasts anyway. And every time I listen to one of your podcasts, I don't necessarily feel sad. I feel less alone. Thank you. That's exactly, um, exactly what we are yeah. in for. So that's yeah. really lovely to hear. Yeah, and And that's exactly how I feel because I feel like these are real people dealing with real issues that have been courageous enough to come and share this and now I know I'm not on my own but I don't I don't feel sad for them because I feel that's quite patronizing I don't want people to feel sad for me or or sympathize for me yeah um I just feel I feel proud of them and I feel less alone so thank you for doing your podcasts you're welcome um thank you for for listening and and you've you know your support on social media is really lovely as well thank you but yeah that's you know this was Hannah's baby you know from the get-go she we always joke she just dragged me along for the ride I mean (laughs) we joke it's it's fairly accurate (laughs) I'm not I'm not particularly verbally articulate no Um, but then I don't think you need to be Tia because it's it's the reality isn't it that's what I love I love that it's real yeah I think yeah I think we had to we had to laugh when we started to say two people we hate talking on the phone starting a podcast just sounds (laughs) ridiculous but but yeah it's our aim was always to just if we even one person to make them feel less alone and it's obviously you know I got one in front of me saying that and that's lovely yeah 100% Yeah. yeah 
and I, I think you're absolutely right in you telling your story will hopefully, you know, help other people feel less alone. Yeah, and that's why I, I've always been a very private person, mm. um, but I decided that with this I feel like I... I feel like I'm doing something if I'm sharing my story and sharing reality. And that's why I then have set up my Instagram now. So it's public because I am real on there. Um, It is the raw reality of parenting. It's at the Howard family doing life because that's all we're doing. It's trying to do life. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. There's a bit of a mixture of everything on there, but you know it is just doing life that's yeah. that's what we're doing trying to get through day-to-day life like everybody's trying to do yeah and I'd like to think now that I am a mental health advocate because I will share it till it helps anybody yeah um, it's just so important yeah. so that is why I feel you know, social media is so big now, isn't it? That I yeah. thought it was just the perfect opportunity to to kind of share, you know, you're not alone. Even if you don't have to talk to anybody, you could visit my page and see. I mean, even, for example, yesterday I put a post up. Yesterday was an awful day. Mm. And I remember laying in my bed at dinner time and thinking, I just want the, to close my eyes and the ground to swallow me up and just say to me, you know... It, it's going to be better it's going to be fine you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be fine but that's not reality Mm. and I just thought do you know what I'm going to share that because there could be someone else feeling like that and even just to read it if you feel not alone then then that's been worth it for me yeah it's it's a really odd thing to explain because you you know when people understand how you feel or going through something similar you, you think well I'm not glad that you're suffering but it's just that it's this solidarity isn't it and yes and, and it validates your how you're feeling and and like we say just just makes you feel less alone and like all those times you've told yourself you didn't deserve help or you know there are people worse than you and you think actually I I do and you know yeah. I, I, yeah. what I'm feeling does is is valid and, and yeah you know and that's spot on because I don't want I don't want people to I don't want sympathy I don't want people to feel sorry for me but what I want what I want people to think is yeah that's that's really helped me even if it's just this hour even if it's just this morning or this afternoon or that day that's helped me today and I know that I'm not alone and that's exactly spot on exactly what I want from it um and you know the ways I, I I manage it doesn't work work or learn it doesn't work for everybody but if that again could help one person then it's all been worth it and as I was saying to you before like especially perinatal mental health there is not enough awareness out there there's not enough support not just for for women going through it but their partners you know their their parents their the other siblings to have to go to Winchester you know to get support and then, you know, for there to be no nurse on the island for a while and have to be over Zoom, I, ju- I get COVID, et cetera. But 
there's no there's not enough support and it, it's not good enough no. it really isn't good enough yeah and I you know I know all the issues that are going on and the systems and that you know but these are real people these are real lives these are real families yeah. and we we would save so much money if we tried you know n- not to fix it from the beginning but to to be out there to be aware to know that you haven't got to get to crisis point before you can go to a support group or exactly. you know yeah. if you're having a, if you're having a crap day today you can come down to the support group and you can this is what we need and yeah. my my this is my aim my aim is to try and do something for the Isle of Wight and I, I will not stop until I get something going but it does take a while yeah and it, it's such a long process but I just I want everybody to have somewhere to go if they need to you know I might not get you might not get anyone there but that week that you do turn up you've got to keep you know that who run it you've got to keep turning up and turning up and turning up Mm. you know I've got a a lack of trust for professionals now because of what I've been through so to have a professional you know taking a support group or something that wouldn't work for me so Mm. it's it's about what works for people we've got to find what works for people because at the end of the day they are the people going through it yeah yeah and you're so right about it getting to the crisis point as well. Like if, if you had a wound that, you know, was going to start getting infected, you wouldn't leave it to, like, you know, the worst-case scenario point of that, would you, until it's like, like oh, sorry, we've got to chop your leg off now, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it, it just makes no sense. And I said before, I said, like, aside from the, the ethical point of view of helping people, in terms of common sense, if you give them the proper treatment to begin with and earlier on, cost-wise, like you said, yeah, they're not going to keep coming in on conveyor belt. They're not going to be at crisis point and need to stay in longer because you left it so long that it's now like needs severe intervention. It's yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. No, it really doesn't. And you know, out of it all those people are suffering more trauma than what they needed yeah. to suffer it's yeah. it's I find that it's we won't deal with it until crisis well let's let's do some preventative work yeah let's do yeah. some work on the ground let's let's just help people and yeah. support people to know that what you're feeling is okay but mm. we can do something about it to help you now let's support you now let's empower you yeah. to, to be able to deal with this so we don't get these you know mental illnesses we kind of get it when it's a mental health need at yeah. that moment yeah um yeah it, it just baffles me it, it really does and I know there's loads of hoops and that that people have to jump through but like you said it's it's just a bit of common sense surely yeah definitely that sounds really like it's really lovely that you'd like to start a support group as well I think that's amazing it's a really good goal to work towards yeah um, yeah. yeah and well needed hopefully yeah hopefully it will um happen yeah fingers make, crossed make sure you're you know not ignoring yourself exactly <laughs> that's what that. yes exactly that's what I I just need to um get a bit further in my recovery yeah so that I'm you know and I, th- I think the thing is I did a live on my Instagram a couple of days ago and I said, you know, I'm not a medical professional. No way am I a medical professional. I'm going through lived experience. Yeah. Um, so therefore I, you know, I need to look after myself as well and, and safeguard yeah. myself. 
yeah absolutely but I also feel like there's so much I can do yeah yeah balance isn't it definitely and we you know we've always said the same with this is why um our podcasts are so like there's no no set schedule we just have to play it by how we're feeling yes we've got to look after ourselves definitely um, does thank you so much Chelsea been amazing honestly cannot thank you enough and I really think this is going to make a difference to people no thank I really mean it from the bottom of my heart thank you for um having me on because as soon as I started listening to your podcast I was like I've got to get on there I've just got to do it you know and and that's something for me to say you know I've reached a goal I've been able to share share my story and you know you guys have got lots of followers so you know it will get out there to loads of people and I'm sure did I was it one million listeners you had oh I I wish we're we're at a thousand downloads oh, a thousand now, but downloads. that's what it was I mean I'll take a million if you've got different yeah no, a thousand <laughs> downloads or something yeah I'm yeah. sure I read something it's, yeah you know honestly, I've just gone that's still like you know and it, as we said one person was our goal so everything exactly but that's what I mean yeah like that's incredible yeah thank you so yeah thank you so much for having me on you're so welcome if you have been affected by any of the topics covered in today's podcast please see our show notes on our facebook page for our suggested contacts if you're interested in talking on our podcast please get in touch through the facebook page we'd love to hear from you stay safe you wonderful people